Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. peace be upon you. And welcome to another edition of the Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tokir Ahmed. And uh, we have a great packed show for you on this Thursday morning. As as our listeners know as well, <laughs> hearing my voice, I usually present on Friday mornings. Uh, along with Brother Valid, who is our main host. But uh, this for this week, uh, they've specifically told me that I will be presenting on Thursday morning. So to the Thursday morning listeners, you're going to be listening to me from now until 9 a.m. And uh, we have a great packed show for our listeners. Um, as you know, the, the agenda of the show, the first half an hour, 30 minutes of the show, we like to run down some of the main news which is happening around the world. And then we go into our main specific segments. Um, we go in, um, I usually, for Friday mornings, what we like to do is we like to do 45-minute segments. Um, and we do two segments. And uh, this is the remit for Thursday morning as well. We have two uh, particular topics we will be uh, discussing. And uh, segment one um, is uh, we're going to be looking at how Political governance uh, is shaping attitudes against human rights for those most vulnerable in society. So this is one uh, very important topic uh, which needs to be discussed. And uh, I do believe for for this segment, uh, we will also be joined by uh, Brother Khalil Yusuf, um, who who is a great contributor to the Voice of Islam radio station and he's going to be giving his expertise on this particular topic and uh, after that from 8.15 to 9am we're going to be going into our second segment and we're going to be looking at body confidence and do we we have it Um, and this is a very important topic as well uh, and we've discussed this many a times um, on the Voice of Islam radio station as well. And for this segment, we're actually going to be uh, joined by uh, Lolly Hancock, who is a beauty journalist and a uh, content writer for Professional Beauty, which provides insights, news, trends and events from the beauty industry, as well as market leading conferences and awards across the globe um uh, so that's uh, one segment uh, so so she will be uh, joining us and also we will be joining Julie Cameron and Julie has 20 years experience in uh, mental health and is committed to providing human rights and improving the health and uh, well-being of vulnerable groups who experience inequalities, stigma, discrimination. As the Associate Director for Mental Health Foundation in Scotland, Julie oversees strategic development and operational delivery. So that is just a little brief introduction on, on Julie. So that's the agenda for this morning. And if any of our listeners do want to get in touch with us, if they do have anything to say, uh, remember the number to call is as always is 0286877878 so that's I'll repeat again it's 0286877878 and if you do want to listen to any of the shows um, or for more information 
please go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk and for the Thursday morning listeners do tune in to Friday mornings <laughs> do you always tune in to Friday mornings you're going to be listening to myself and brother Valid and we also have a new presenter now called Jalees Khan so do Thursday morning presenters uh, Thursday morning listeners do tune in to Friday mornings that I'm going to say that because I've, I'm presenting on Thursday morning so at least that's at least I could do is promote our show on Friday mornings um so yeah that that, that is the agenda uh, that, that is the uh, number if you do want to get in touch with us um in terms of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community there there is a there's a big event happening uh, this year so the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association UK they are hosting their annual gathering um and uh, this year um it's going to be held in uh, in Old Oak Farm um in in Kingsley and uh, so it's, this is a 3 day event um so it's going to be taking place on the 29th on the 30th and the 1st of October um so a lot of the youth members from around the country um they travel um from various parts of the country from Birmingham from Manchester from Scotland um and all of the youth members uh from the ages from 7 to to 40 um they all get together um and and you know we stay and it is a great event in terms of our spiritual rejuvenation um where all of us get together we have different activities uh there's football there's cricket there there's there's volleyball there's so much happening and there's also academic competitions as well um where these members will be getting together there'll be speech competitions on various topics on religious topics on contemporary topics and uh there's 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 a lot to do like there's barbecue as well so there's a bit for everyone um where we all get together in, in a tent uh tent city uh you could say um and uh, you know we uh, we pray together and you know we remember Allah the almighty uh, together and and that itself is what i meant by spiritual rejuvenation and um you know the the highlight of this event would be uh, that his holiness as a mizam surah head of the amdi muslim community he will be addressing um, the audience and uh, he will be addressing the youth of the community as well so uh, do tune in for that as well and um, you know obviously voice of islam covers these main addresses as well of his holiness uh, whenever he addresses um so so you can listen to that as well um i believe so um so this this year you know i I'll, i will also be serving uh, within this event as well i'll be looking after the academics uh, we've got a lot of academics actually happening this this um this year um there's going to be presentation competitions where um where a lot of the youth members from their regions they're going to be representing their regions they're going to be doing presentations and one of the main topics would be on salat so that is the theme of um, of the of the uh, of this annual gathering um 
there's going to be an observation test where we're going to be showing video and uh, we're going to be testing your memory, um, your taste, your taste buds, um, you know, how 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 good is your even even smelling we're going to be getting you to test uh, various things i'm not going to reveal what and you have to guess what they are and uh, the members with the most uh, highest points they will be getting a first second third prize um i actually do have a a guest uh, so this is nasir nasir kanado and he is going to be coming all the way from Scotland and uh, he is our guest for this morning and uh, he, um, let's let's get him on. So, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you and thank you for joining us this morning, Nasser. Wa Alaikum Asalaam wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, peace be upon you too. So, yeah, you're going to be coming all the way from Scotland to join the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth, uh, this national gathering. Um, so, I wanted you to introduce yourself a little bit. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so, um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful. So, um, my name is uh, Nasir Ahmed Ousu and uh, I'm 17 years old, and I'm currently studying in Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, which is a place to train young boys around my age to become future missionaries and to... Um, improve ourselves and um, do things which please God and then later on um, help others to do the same thing. Fantastic. And and how is the this institute, Jamia Amdiya UK, how is that going for you? Yeah, alhamdulillah, all is good. And uh, yeah, just keep praying for me and the others in Jamia that we fulfill our life devotion and fulfill that which um, our beloved Caliph uh, asks of us. Inshallah, may Allah the Almighty bless you, brother. And uh, so where are you going to be traveling from this year to attend the annual gathering this year? As of now, um, us Jamia students, uh, we're on our holidays right now. So um, inshallah, I'll be traveling to the Ishtama from Glasgow, um, Scotland, uh, with the Jamaat members and the Qudam and Atfal members here. And we'll travel inshallah tomorrow. And do you know how many, roughly, how many members are uh, confirmed to be coming from Scotland to attend the event? I don't know the exact number, but it's going to be good attendance from our part, inshallah. And uh, Nasser, so uh, how many brothers do you have and will they also be attending this this event? Um, I have uh, four brothers and they will all, inshallah, be attending the event and inshallah take part in some uh, competitions to as well. Oh, fantastic! And uh, that, that's that's what uh, is the last question uh, that I wanted to ask you is that what are you going to be looking forward to at this annual gathering, along with your brothers, and how have you been preparing for it? Uh, so, um, the Ishtama is a much it's a much anticipated event in the Jamaat calendar, and I think that there are mainly like three reasons for why anyone um, would want to come to the Ishtama and why people are excited to come. The first reason is um, building like building a brotherhood with all your brothers at the Ishtama, like bu- building new friendships, meeting new people, and building bridges with one another through competition, sports, and academics. And uh, 
The second reason uh, um, I think people come to the ishtama is uh, to increase our spirituality. Uh, there will be like lots of functions during the event and lots of activities which we, um, where we as um, Qaddam and Atfal are constantly reminded about um, the purpose of uh, of Qaddam al-Ahmadiyya and what we as the youth seek to achieve. And um, we also like be building our spirituality by building a relationship um, with Allah through five daily, through our five daily prayers and through voluntary prayers. Absolutely. And the last, the last thing I think um, everyone everyone looks forward to the most in the ishtima is um, getting to see our beloved Caliph, Caliph, may Allah be pleased with him, and the and the and the event. Um, seeing him come and lead us in prayers, and also um, on the last day listening to his enlightened words. So I think this is the three reasons why people look forward to coming to the ishtama. Regarding um, me, me, I'm personally me. I'm preparing for um, sport to participate in the sports. So inshallah, I'll be participating in football and also um, 50 meter sprint. And uh, with my brothers, um, they're all they'll, they're all going to inshallah be participating. Um, one one of them is already a Hadim, so he'll be participating in a few academics and sports. And similarly with the rest of the boys, and inshallah they'll mm-hmm. participate too. You you mentioned football, so you'll be representing, uh, playing for Scotland. I'm guessing. Um, uh, and, uh, and the Scotland guys. Would have loved for me to play for them, but inshallah, I'll be playing with the uh, with Jamia UK. Okay, okay, and I think just to explain for our listeners as well that don't know, so within within the UK, our uh, our youth, uh, there there are twenty five regions, and uh, so there's teams from Scotland. So each region will be bringing its own team. And uh, Jamia, where uh, Nasser is also studying, they have their own football team as well. So uh, I, I look forward to um, seeing you play, Nasser. Are you going to be the captain? Uh, no, I'm not the captain. I'm still, I'm still a rookie. So. <laughs> okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Very brief and concise. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And and I do look forward to seeing you at the annual um, gathering of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association UK this year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So that was uh, that was uh, Nasser Nasser Kanado who gave us a brief insight onto to the um, Amdi Muslim Youth Association UK. But yeah, if you if you do want to get in touch with us, if you do want to attend the event. Get in touch with us. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely sort something out um, for 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 you guys. Um, so that that's in terms of what's happening with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, in other news, uh, there is a one particular news which is made the headlines this morning, and this from BBC News: Police officers widely misusing uh, body worn cameras. So the police officers they're actually switching off their body-worn cameras when forces used as well as deleting footage and sharing videos on uh, on whatsapp so that is uh, one of the main headlines this morning so it reads that a bbc investigation has uncovered that 
more than 150 reports of camera misuse by forces in England and Wales described as shocking by a leading officer. And in one case, siblings faced a two-year legal battle over footage showing officers' use of force against them. And the office says that police use use of cameras must be lawful and justified. And the rollout of body-worn cameras costing at least £90 million over the past decade was intended to benefit both victims and the police, protecting officers against malicious complaints and improving the quality of evidence collected. But during a two-year investigation, the BBC has obtained that hundreds of reports of misuse from freedom of information request police sources misconduct hearings and regulation regulator reports um, and the cameras uh, were introduced to improve policing transparency but we found that more than 150 camera misuse reports uh, with cases to answer over misconduct uh, recommendations for learning or or complaints were held so that is uh, one one particular news item uh, which um, which is of discussion and uh, this is one of the major headlines on uh, BBC and uh, weather for you this morning. Um, so the weather forecast, this is again is from BBC weather, is that today we'll see a dry start with plenty of sunny spells around and cloud will cover uh, will become a little thicker in the afternoon and the odd isolated shower is possible in places a less windy day and the forecast for tonight is that this evening we'll see cloud cover um, become overcast and into the night a few light spells of rain will move in the this will clear for a time but uh, towards dawn some showers will develop uh, so yes, that's the weather forecast for this morning. Um, and yeah, if you do want to get in touch with us, uh, I've explained what some of the main topics that we'll be discussing this morning. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can call us on 0286877878. Uh, or you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. Or you can go on our website for more information on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So that's the news roundup for this morning um and i would urge our thursday morning listeners as well that do tune into friday morning shows you i present on friday mornings along with brother valid we have a new presenter as well so do if you are listening on thursday and you like uh the show on thursday then you're gonna love it on friday mornings so do tune into friday mornings i'll be back after this short break and we'll be going into our first main segment muhammad the seal of the prophets the final law-bearing prophet of god whose advent was prophesied by earlier prophets of god a claim made by millions of muslims across the globe but how true is this statement was this coming truly foreseen by prophets in the biblical scripture? What does the Bible say regarding the advent of the greatest prophet of God? Read Muhammad in the Bible by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad Anhu, the second successor of the promised Messiah Al-Muhaymin protector, the one who guards all from danger. He sends down the angels with revelation 
by his command on whomsoever of his servants he pleases, saying, Warn people that there is no God but I, so take me alone for your protector. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Uh, welcome back to the breakfast show, the Thursday morning breakfast show. Uh, you are listening to Tokir uh, this morning. Um, and uh, as I said, as I've been mentioning, I'm actually a Friday morning presenter. And uh, I would urge all of the Thursday morning listeners to please also listen to Friday mornings. If you love this, you're going to absolutely love Friday mornings. <laughs> We've got, we've got, we, we, we've got a lot of, uh, we, we do a lot of stuff on uh, Friday mornings as well. Brother Valid, uh, he also sometimes even brings jokes on Friday mornings as well. So I would urge that uh, Thursday morning listeners to also <laughs> tune in to Friday mornings as well. You're going to absolutely love it. Um, so as I was mentioning, um, before the uh, before our new segment that we're now going to be looking at segment one and we're looking at how political governance is shaping attitudes against human rights for those most vulnerable in society um uh, i do uh, have an update on that we were we will be joining by khalil yusuf but also um i i don't know that we will also be joining by reverend dr helen hall uh, she'll also be coming on and we have a interview that uh, one of our team members took with uh, asif arif so we'll be listening to asif arif as well uh, in this segment so the gist of the story is that the geopolitical landscape has seen an erosion of rights afforded to the person in some countries and the european conventional on human rights and the UN Charter were enacted to safeguard and protect the most vulnerable in society from prosecution. And yet some um, signatories to the UN Charter ignore their obligations and use their power to withhold basic human rights for some. And it appears that politics has taken a turn around the world where immigrants, refugees are seen as political pawns to be used to enact legislation and policies which go against any civilized society. And moreover, uh, organizations such as the Henry Jackson Institute are attempting to support and be the voice for these groups. Yet, uh, what can be done to ensure that those most vulnerable in society are are protected? Um, So... Some of the main key points um, for for this topic is that you know we will be looking at what are the key reasons for stripping away human rights from the most vulnerable in the society. So uh, socio-economic uh, disparities, economic inequality, often uh, this leads to unequal access to human rights, including health, education, and housing discrimination and prejudice, discriminatory beliefs and practices based on factors such as race, gender, religion, ethnicity can derive vulnerable groups of their rights and political instability, political instability, uh, corruption or authoritarian regimes can undermine human rights protection. Um, So lack of... um, 
lack of legal protection uh, that can also be an, a reason so inadequate legal frameworks or weak enforcement of existing laws can leave vulnerable population exposed uh, conflicts and war so armed conflicts can disrupt the social fabric and lead to severe human rights abuse um, especially uh, among vulnerable groups so his holiness azamazam suramad uh, he actually even you know he mentions as well um, through the in light of the holy quran um, and he mentions from the at one place he's mentioned from the holy quran that uh, it says in the holy quran to worship allah and not to worship others and at the same time the quran it commands um, the to take care of humanity including relatives your neighbors your travelers and the poor and servant and one works for allah and helps the the weak the less fortunate brothers and sisters their faith then also increases and the promised messiah peace be upon him the founder of the md muslim community he has also said that if a man does not help others he slowly turns into an animal not caring for others so that that is a very um i think a very important uh statement of the promised messiah peace be upon him that we should all um take care of those who are vulnerable members of the society as well and with that uh, let's bring our first guest on we are joined by uh, Khalil Yusuf and Khalil Yusuf is a lawyer and he is a regular contributor to the Voice of Islam radio station as well assalamu alaikum uh, brother khalil how are you doing this morning assalamu alaikum good morning good to hear from you um i want to ask you in recent times there appears to be a um propensity amongst some to reduce the rights and freedom uh what may be the cause of this look i mean i think uh threats to uh, us in terms of our rights and freedoms come in many forms you know on the one hand it can be imposing a level of rights and freedoms which harm society uh, on the other hand it can be competition for energy and resources human rights violations you know weak governance poverty inequality there are so many rights and freedoms which all people expect which can be marginalized as a result of uh, policies and actions of people and states but ultimately a lot of the causes of rights and freedoms being reduced are hate it's hatred towards one another and it's uh, humanity's worst impulses being given the opportunity to manifest themselves and the result of that is uh, many crimes that are committed across the world against humanity and sometimes that is fueled by you know a, a venomous political system if you like that uh, you know marginalizes particular communities you have sometimes anti-muslim hatred you have anti-semitism you have attacks on christian communities um and a general disregard for human rights and that's really very disappointing indeed absolutely and the un charter of human rights has 
many uh, senatories and a number of them still continue to disregard their obligations to uphold these principles. Um, so what does this show and is the UN Charter not fit for purpose? What's, what's your thoughts on this? Look, I mean, I do think that the UN Charter is fit for purpose in the sense that it is it sets out a uh, a fantastic guideline for countries if they were to implement it. But the challenge with the UN Charter is that the UN Charter is not enforceable. There is no mechanism to uh, enforce the obligations of the UN Charter. Those have to be implemented at a national level by countries. But there is an area of the UN Charter that is weak, and that is uh, the rise of social media as use uh, to equip hate mongers uh, across the world. And I think that's something that the UN uh, and the Charter does need to address because digital platforms, while being you know very positive in terms of helping people to share information um, and can be used to defend rights and freedoms and freedom of expression are often used in a really poisonous way to sow discord and division and hatred. And it's really important for states, international organizations, governments, civil society, private sector, and even faith leaders uh, I mean, His Holiness Salim Zemusuramid has spoken about the negative impacts of uh, social media and, and how we should be using it in a positive way. Um, everybody really has a responsibility to recognise this risk and to try and address it. I think that's one area that the, the UN could do a little bit more work on. Thank you. And uh, I think one final question uh, from my side is that what steps can be undertaken both short to medium term to preserve these rights, especially uh, in places where there are many vulnerable people? Look, faith has a, a really important role to play in helping to build a peaceful society. You know, and justice is a central part of that. If you if you don't think about faith and you go out into the secular world, there isn't really anywhere, whether that's on television or whether that's in schools or whether that's in your workplace, that says, well, actually, you should be honest and actually you should act with justice and that you should be fair. Most of society really is centered around uh, your own individual rights and, and very little about what your responsibility is to others. And that's what faith offers, what faith says, is that actually there is a responsibility that you have which is beyond just yourself. And so in Islam, for example, actually uh, a lot of our faith can be summarized in just a couple of lines, and that is that you should love your creator and fulfill his rights, but then you should also love his creation and fulfill their rights. And so you know, from an Islamic perspective, an obligation for all Muslims is to show love and compassion and kindness to all of God's creation. And that really is very much the starting point. I think it's also worth saying that we have to recognize that human nature is such that, you know, it's very difficult for all people to agree on everything. And sometimes you do have 
disagreements. But what's so important is that those disagreements are resolved with justice and fairness and that you don't prioritize one's own interests, but actually you think about what is right and what is just and what is fair. And I think that if uh, we all engage in actions that are based on truth and justice and fairness, then we will help to eliminate this increasing hatred and contempt that we're seeing and the very highest standards of justice can be preserved and uh, and implemented. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Khalil Yusuf, for joining us this morning and uh, sharing your thoughts and expertise on this on this subject. Thank you so much. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. 02086877878 that's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us we are now joined by dr helen hall uh, who is an associate professor at the nottingham uh, law school uh, with teaching responsibilities in tort contract and family law um, an associate director of the Center for Rights and Justice. Uh, good morning to you and thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And to start off, uh, Dr. Helen, for the benefit of our listeners, could you please remind us of the importance of human rights being fulfilled? Absolutely. I mean, at the most basic, it's a question of life and death, and some human rights violations can tragically lead to people actually losing their lives. But it's far more than that. Um, Human rights are guarantees of everybody's uh, ability to live their life, to flourish, to have dignity, and to make um, choices when they they are able to do so. So really, Human rights are enabling us to live the kind of rights that we believe we we have a right to and deserve as human beings. Fantastic. Uh, Beautifully answered. Very concise. And what can be done if if they are not fulfilled? Uh, Well, at the moment, um, certainly in the uh, UK, we of course have the Human Rights Act which means that um, an international agreement about human rights has been incorporated into our domestic law, which gives individuals the ability to actually make a challenge in our courts if their human rights are violated and courts um, can therefore adjudicate and where it is necessary uh, enforce um, the respect for human rights. So this ability actually to do more than to simply point it out, but to actually go to a court and say, um, I need a remedy here, there needs to be some action. That's absolutely fundamental. Uh, It's not the only way, of course. Um, It's also extremely important that we have um, the right and the inclination to speak out when uh, human rights are either our own or those of other people are not being respected and to say, hey, this is a standard that we've signed up to in international law. It's a standard that our parliament has also made part of our law here. Uh, It's part of who we are as a society. And it is a problem that these are not really respected. And please, we must do something about it. Absolutely. And can you also um, give an example of a scenario where a right is not being fulfilled? 
Yes, I mean, absolutely. There are many, and often, particularly at the moment, uh, human rights can be very politicised. Um, particular groups can be demonised by, by certain sections of society with political interests. But one example that I think all people would find it very easy to accept are the human rights of children when we don't, as a society, get it right in terms of protecting vulnerable children, when we know that these young people are at risk and we, the state authorities, don't share information appropriately, don't offer the right support at the right time. So cases like um, Arthur Labinjo Hughes, which I'm sure everyone remembers having seen harrowing stories about in the media, we don't know yet quite happened, what happened with a more contemporary uh, Sarah Sharif case, but there's reason to think that this little girl was also known to social services. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Article 2 right to life, the Article 3 right to protection from inhuman and degrading treatment, I think wherever you sit on the political spectrum, the right of children to, to live and to flourish, these kind of rights, I don't think anyone can humanly disagree with. Absolutely. And... Uh... Why do you think, Dr. Helen, that uh, sometimes vulnerable groups, they struggle with their rights being fulfilled? Well, as I said, I mean, sometimes vulnerable groups can be on the receiving end of negative rhetoric. We're seeing a lot of that about refugees and asylum seekers at the moment. And sometimes vulnerable groups are, you know, unpopular in some people's eyes and some sections of society. So it's easier for people to dismiss it to say that oh this this doesn't matter or it's being exaggerated the whole point about human rights is they exist for everybody whatever your perception of them as as human beings also sometimes vulnerable groups can struggle to get their point across it may be for instance their children so they can't easily advocate for themselves it may be that they're in a, a new society and that there are language barriers i mean it's by definition the people least able to assert their human rights who most need the attention and protection of everybody else. And do you think that organisation and uh, society uh, have learned to tackle this issue effectively? I think we've still got a way to go. Um, I think we've obviously made a great deal of progress. Um, we do have the Human Rights Act at the moment, although there are has been long-standing jeopardy about its future. But as I say, we are still seeing some less-than-ideal rhetoric in terms of human rights. We're also still seeing times when, you know, mistakes are made and the ball is dropped, sometimes with tragic consequences. So I think we have a way to go on a journey, is how I would put it. Absolutely. And Dr. Helen, why do, sometimes what happens is that the same issue or cases, they keep on repeating, you know, we hear it often, uh, you know, the, those, those cases arise again and again. Why, why is that the case? I mean, I think, again, because the same systemic problems are not tackled. And I think one thing is that sometimes the rights of vulnerable groups, the rights of people least able to advocate for themselves or the rights that people don't want to hear about because they're either uncomfortable or there's prejudice and hostility, those are the ones that fall through the cracks because they're the ones least adequately protected and protected perhaps with the least enthusiasm. 
And that's why, as I say, it's the responsibility of everybody of goodwill to speak out when this happens and not to just shrug and say, oh, it's inevitable, it will always be like this, but to insist that we can make progress and that we can do better in future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Helen, for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this subject. Thank you so much. Thank you, then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So, we've just listened to Reverend Dr. Hall, who is an associate professor at the Nottingham Law School, uh, with uh, with teaching responsibilities in uh, in contract and family law and tort. Um. So that was that was Dr. Helen Hall. Um. So, yeah, we're just going to be approaching the 8 o'clock news very soon. Um, and uh, before before having uh, Dr. Helen on as well, we were uh, look, looking at some of the Islamic perspective as well. That, uh, look, even if you look at the Holy Quran, you know, the Holy Quran, it commands us to take care of humanity. Um, and it, it, it commands us to take care of our relatives, of neighbors, of travelers, the poor, the servant. Essentially, even you know your neighbor has a has a right upon you. I, there's there's a famous narration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him as well that uh, even if you were to make food, uh, particularly referring in this narration as broth, then the narration is that add, add extra water into that. Uh, so you can give some of that food to your neighbor, essentially, um, and, and and you know that it just doesn't mean from this narration that uh, you know you should just give food to your neighbor, but rather it means that you know greet them, check if they're okay, um, have have a good bond with them. We live in a society nowadays where everyone's on the get go, and we don't really pay that much attention to to our neighbors as well in actual fact uh, the 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 whole um interpretation of a neighbor within islam is not just a neighbor who's right next to you but it far exceeds that it, it can refer to even uh, you know um as far as uh, it, it within a you know a 50 mile radius i believe that's what his holiness once mentioned that even they are your neighbor so essentially um if you live in a place then it is your duty you know to look after the society and contribute to the society as well uh, there's a very famous narration of the holy prophet of the holy prophet peace be upon him that a two group of people would be approaching um allah the almighty on the day of judgment and one of that particular group when they will approach allah the almighty um Allah the Almighty will ask ask those particular people that when he was on earth he was hungry he was thirsty and addressing those group of people you say that you did not feed me you did not quench my thirst and those people being addressed they would question God Almighty that oh God when was it on earth that you were hungry or you were thirsty and we did not provide for you or we did not take care of you and in response to this, God Almighty will say that my such and such person of mine came to you at that time and they asked you for food or they asked you for water and you did not provide for them. Had you provided or you looked after that individual at that time, it would have been as if 
you had quenched my thirst or if it would have been as if you had fed me and uh, similarly in that narration another group of people would be being addressed and god almighty would give glad tidings to those people that on earth you i came to you and i asked you for water and i asked you for food and you provided for my needs and those individuals though that that group that being addressed they would say that oh god when was it on earth that uh, we provided for you or we looked after you and god will say that such and such person of mine came to you and they asked for food or they asked for water and you provided for them and uh, he gave them glad tidings god almighty gives them glad tidings that look you helped them so you know you fulfilled those commandments and it was as if you had fed me or you had given me water so essentially islam plays a huge role on looking after the vulnerable people of the society and his holiness hazam zamsur ahmed he's even said that a lot of people um they have no care for fellow beings and if someone is left hungry they cannot care not for them and if someone has financial issues they never care to spend their own wealth for them and his holiness he, he even mentioned that a recent sh- survey showed how charity is given mostly by religious people and muslims for those who give the most charity and th- this is of no surprise because this is in line with the with the teachings of islam as well that we should look after the vulnerable people of the society so we're ac- approaching the 8 o'clock news now and uh, we're going to be back soon after a uh, short break and we'll be going more Uh, into this issue Muhammad the seal of the prophets the final law-bearing prophet of God whose advent was prophesied by earlier prophets of God a claim made by millions of muslims across the globe but how true is this statement was this coming truly foreseen by prophets in the biblical scripture what does the bible say regarding the advent of the greatest prophet of God Read Muhammad in the Bible by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad radhiyallahu anhu the second successor of the promised messiah alayhi salatu wasalam a new station the voice of islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam Allahu akbar bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of allah the gracious the most assalamu alaykum peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show uh, you are joined by myself uh, tukir ahmed um and uh, we've been discussing uh, this this topic of how political governance is shaping attitudes against the human rights for those most vulnerable in the society and uh, we did um, conduct an interview with uh, asif arif who is an international attorney licensed in paris and california and he authored books on secularism islam and topics related to fundamental rights in france uh, so we did um, conduct an interview with him so let's listen into that you listen um, i have with me right now asif arif who is an inter- international attorney licensed in paris and california and you listen he authored books on secularism islam and topics related to fundamental rights in france as well as just uh, just reading out your 
uh, intro. I have so many questions, especially about France, but we have so much short time. So I will just keep, like, I will just stick on the topic and I will jump, jump straight to the first question, which is that how political governance is shaping attitudes against human rights for those most vulnerable in society and who could be considered as vulnerable groups in our society and what challenge do they sometimes face? Yes, Jazakallah, uh, thank you very much for having me in the show. Uh, yes, uh, uh, obviously the first question, and you, and it's a sub-question of your actually mm. general topic, is which part of the society can be considered as vulnerable? Those people are either those people who don't have any access to the legal system due to their means, for example. Some people don't have access properly to the legal system because they cannot pay a legal fees. They can go, the range is very vast. They can go from these category of people all the way up to the minorities because the, they are practicing a faith that is minor in the country and those will be considered as vulnerable per se. And then they will need, they will, will need to have some legal framework to address those uh, unbalanced category due to the natural demographic of the country and to address them uh, you need to consider a set of policies whether it is enhancing their right whether this is affirmative actions whether it is uh, enhancing them or empowering them with certain amount of legal aids for example uh, there is many, many people who live into a country with no resources. So when these people don't have enough resources, what you're going to do is the state is going to supplement this lack of resource through uh, aids and subventions. So this can be one politics, political idea that we can do to uh, help those vulnerable category of society. So the the question is so vast that I cannot cover it within mm. a couple of seconds. But vulnerable mean people who don't have mean, who don't have access, who do, who have lack of mean or lack of access, or people who are considered minor into a society where they will need to, uh, or they will need to face a lot of challenges if they come to challenge the majority of uh, of the demographics. That's the overall idea. I understand. And, you know, um, um, Star, sometimes providing support or guidance to vulnerable groups can be challenging. Uh, what can be done to tackle that? Um, so we need to look at the challenge. If mm. uh, the, the, the challenge is uh, only monetary, I think reasonably Western government, for example, can easily tackle that issue. If we can send billions and billions of dollars of euros to a, a Ukraine where a war is happening and vulnerable category are being killed, we can also mm. address vulnerable category in our own countries. So for example, when there is homelessness, this is where we, we, we can actually tackle these things with putting a little bit of money into it. So it, it depends that the challenge is. The challenge is really much going to them. So for example, if you look at the uh, if you look at the, uh, I lost my, I lost the word, the actual word for, for for that, but it's it's category of people who are, for example, Native American. Native mm. Americans are struggling in many many fronts, and they are considered as a vulnerable people. But what are we doing to actually help them? 
Are we putting the money to, enough monetary aid on the table? I don't think so. Are we putting sufficient uh, means, which is legal means, are we empowering them enough for them to be able to also understand that they have some rights? And if they have, uh, if they have some rights, are we properly giving them the information how they can activate those rights, how they can put it into play? So those are the first set of things that we can think about. And the second is if the help goes through increasing job offers for them, uh, is the government increasing or proposing a good scheme or good set of jobs that will empower them to get into the society into a less vulnerable way? Uh, um, um, Mr. Asif, um, recently we have seen a big rise of Islamophobia in France and those Muslims over there, they are actually also minority, even though they are part of one of the biggest religion here in the world. But um, what do you think? What is the main issue? Why do they show so much intolerance towards Muslims in France? And what oh, yes, like we're, we're staying in the topic, right? We're talking about vulnerable yes, category of yes, people. Yes. And when you look at the majority right now in France, the thing mm. is, it's a little bit complicated and challenging to categorize them because, first mm. of all, in France, you are uh, not allowed to make statistical uh, statistics, sorry, based on religion or mm. somebody at ethnical uh, uh, belonging. So okay. that makes a little bit challenging the the overall idea of how many Muslim we have, uh, how many uh, uh, how many challenging we're facing, and all that. So this is the first thing. The second thing is there is not an, a really helpful, the government is not being really helpful in tackling mm -hmm. those issues. In uh, the contrary, he's uh, actually putting fuel into the Islamophobia recently mm -hmm. in the past recent years, which is not helping any vulnerable category. It's actually creating a more dangerous situation for them. Now people who are wearing the hijab, for example, they can go in the street and get some time by some people verbally mm. or physically mm. sometimes we heard countless uh, you know incidents where uh, in in the last couple of years there were even people with hijab that got uh, killed because mm. uh, they were uh, they were belonging to muslim faith so you see these are the kind of situations that are very hard to deal with because the government himself is not helping the vulnerable category and in fact he is using them as a scapegoat for their own political issues. So what we need to come back with is we need to come back with a strong understanding of what type of society we want. Yeah. If we want a society where everybody respects each other, everybody live with everybody else's difference, and everybody respect everybody else's difference, we, the government, should understand that the first responsibility, you always lead by example. Right. If your government himself is treating different category differently, he is institutionalizing discrimination. And by doing so, he is creating even amongst the vulnerable category of people, a friction amongst them. And by creating friction amongst them, he's creating friction among the population. And this is just a, 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 
you, you know, a, a sort of a you, you're you're just waiting for a civil war to come by doing these pop, these policies, and that, that's what the government should understand. Now, the, the problem is going back to normal will mm. be really hard for France. Can you imagine they adopted policies on the hijab in school? They adopted policies in the, on, on the full veil in the public uh, space. They adopted policies on the uh, abaya, on the burkini. Now, mm. rewinding, rewinding those policies will, will not be possible. They've put a step too far now. Now, what will, is upcoming in France is more restriction rather than opening up and coming back and rewinding those, those policies, unless there is a providential man that comes, and we can pray for that, and that comes and that start rewinding those policies, considering the rights of vulnerable, considering the rights of those Muslims who are just asking for practicing their faith in peace. And if such is the case, then we can see some tangible change in uh, in in French and in, in France uh, life in general. Other than this, I think we're going to go towards chaos and destruction. No, I understand. So basically, what you just said is that it's going to be very difficult now for even if they come with rights for women, for Muslim women, it's going to be very difficult for them to adopt those rights, especially for those French people who are basically unaware of Islamic teaching then. Yes, I had a colleague named François Chiro. He he is an extremely well versed uh, 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 writing books on freedom of religion, freedom in general, fundamental rights in general, and he said w- the government should stop re- putting restriction on rights of people, because the question that is coming ahead is not how we will do to take down to strike strike down those uh, those those restrictions that we already put into place. The question that is coming ahead is which other restriction are we going to put into place? I think the, the best thing you just said, the only thing we can do is you know, pray that um, yes. everything comes uh, to turns out in the end good for the Muslim uh, people over there in France, and especially around the world as well. Um, Asif, um, thank you for your time, and it's very interesting to listen to you, and I hope that one day we can have you again on the uh, Basel uh, Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that was... Uh... Asif Arif um, and Asif Arif he's an international attorney licensed in Paris and California he authored books on secularism Islam and topics related to fundamental rights in France uh, so that was his take on this uh, particular topic so we're now actually going into our second segment um, uh, and we're looking at the topic of body confidence and you know do we have it and uh, in respect of body confidence, uh, you know, we, we may want to approach this from a sociological angle. And this means exploring the key reasons as to why they are confident about their bodies. And the interesting uh, anomaly is Bangladesh, where poverty is still a significant issue. However, w- w- was it that they felt body confidence because they were fully covered or did they feel that despite their diet they felt an inner peace and researchers surveyed over 56,000 people uh, from which 65 nations um, 
about body image, so which included countries such as Malta, Taiwan, Bangladesh, Kazakhstan, were the most body confident. So th- this is a very um, interesting uh, discussion, um, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think to help us in this discussion, we are joined by a very special guest. I'd like to introduce and welcome Miss Lolly Hancock who is a beauty journalist and content writer for Professional Beauty, which provides insight, news, trends and events from the beauty industry, as well as market-leading conferences and awards across the globe. Ms. Lolly, thank you so much. Welcome to the Thank Western you Islam. so much for May having me. the peace me. and blessings of God be upon you. Thank you. I guess where I want to start this conversation is, how does someone get into this industry? So you're in this industry of professional beauty yeah so I'm a journalist so similar to you guys I guess in a sense and um I just always loved beauty and fashion growing up you know I'm 23 I'm part of the YouTube generation I learned a lot of it through watching tutorials on YouTube and it's something that I really enjoy so to be able to write about it and be in the world of beauty every day is how long how long have you been in this industry so two years now two years now so still quite yeah, I'm, I'm still yeah. a baby. Really. I was gonna actually. One of my first questions was actually how social media has changed um, your work because you know before it was yeah. very like you said working for magazines or creating content that would actually people would have to go out and buy. Yeah. And now it's just. I mean, mean, now I feel like, you know, the role of the journalist has changed so much because of social media. It used to be just writing articles for a magazine or newspaper. Now you've got to think about, okay, so I'm covering this topic online, but I also need to do social media content to complement it. And, you know, it feels like every day there's a new social media platform launch, you know, threads or Instagram has just started doing the broadcasting list and it's hard to keep up with it. But no, I can imagine. I, can imagine. I guess well, one of the f- basic questions we should cu- address, and from your, in your opinion, that what is beauty, and how does it manifest in shaping body confidence for both men and women? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's an open-ended question. What is beauty? And you can ask a million yeah. pe- different people and have a million different answers. But for me, I really think it is. You know, just looking in the mirror and being happy with what's looking back at you and being comfortable within your own skin. And if you can look at yourself and feel okay in yourself, that's a beautiful thing. And do you, what are the kind of principal factors that you think affect body confidence? I mean, you know, we talked about social media. It's yeah. impossible to escape in this day and age. And... I think so many brands and so many social media platforms push these people as the forefront, as their leading creators who are on paper the ideal beauty standard or the ideal body type. And it goes beyond just social media, you know, fashion brands are doing it, beauty brands are doing it. Obviously, they are working with models who are meeting that ideal standard. And it's even in films, you know, there was that film that came out a few years ago called The Duff, which literally stood for designated ugly fat friend. She wasn't ugly, she wasn't fat, she was just an extremely average looking uh, person and having those words and connotations with it will affect everyone watching it thinking oh if she's the duff what does that make me you know yeah no you're right I think um, these kind of that's the I think challenge with social media because mm. essentially you're pointing well you can't control people's emotions while watching you have no idea what they're going through um, in their personal lives what kind of 
uh, battles they may be facing when it comes to a worldly battle, a mental battle, whatever yeah. it may be. And then you're right, when you see something online, it can affect people in different ways. So I guess it's huge responsibility yeah. um, for this industry. But then I think you have to find the fine line of, well, actually, they might just be thinking of it's our business. And this yeah, well, that's the thing, tackle? isn't it? Like, yeah. at the end of the day, the industry makes a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And if business heads can profit off people's insecurities you know they're not thinking about every single consumer's mental health when they're pushing these promotions and these images and the models that they're using and the campaigns they're doing i mean 50 percent of teenage girls have some sort of negative body image which is just a crazy statistic you know these are all young women who haven't even entered adulthood yet and they're already looking at themselves and thinking i want to change this i want to change that about myself i mean in in introduction um one point that was mentioned that was quite incredible actually i'd love to get your thoughts on it as well is this uh, survey that was conducted in which fifty-six thousand people took part from 65 nations mm. and it's about body image and it was malta taiwan taiwan bangladesh and kazakhstan were the most body confident and i think they just looked into bangladesh where obviously poverty is a huge issue yeah but yet the people there are kind of body confident that's quite it's an amazing research yeah it really is and you know what i think in countries like bangladesh maybe where they have different priorities i feel like in western countries you know it's all about who's getting the most followers what are you doing how are you presenting yourself to other people whereas maybe there you know the standards that people hold themselves to are different it's a lot more about uplifting each other and family support and all of that sort of thing. So I think that definitely has an effect on it. You know, it's so true. I had the opportunity to go to um, Liberia. Mm. Uh, It's gone about years now, but you're right. I think we, our task was we went to a village just to kind of for a welfare visit. And you're right, when you don't have the basic luxuries, you're not worried about how you look or what other people think of mm. you or of your image you're just worried about the basic kind of day-to-day how am i going to provide yeah. how am i going to get some sort of electricity how am i going to get water to drink it so puts it's, it all it in puts perspective 100%, doesn't it 100%. i guess keeping this conversation in mind what then can be the steps uh by the fashion and beauty industry to actually promote better welfare in regard to body confidence i mean it's difficult because obviously having you know these skinny statuesque six foot models has been the norm for so long but ultimately the average size of a woman in the UK is a size 60 so I think brands need to be reflecting the world around them a bit more rather than going for the you know the idealistic and this is what we all want to be there's definitely been some steps in the right direction recently. I mean, we've just had Fashion Week. Caroline Vito had a runway full of plus-size models, which was amazing to see. Earlier this year, Sinead O'Dwyer had a completely you know, inclusive range of models walking in their show. They had a pregnant model, a model in a wheelchair. I think people being able to look at these brands that they look up to and see that, oh, actually, I could wear that. Yeah. I'm not you know, not the right person to be wearing their clothes. They do have something for me and something that all brands should be striving for. And is this, do you feel this is majority affecting women or is it men as well? Well, it is both. I believe the statistic is 
65% of women and 40% of men. Mm. Don't hold me to that. You might have to mm. double check that one. But I believe it's around that um, for people who do have body confidence issues in the UK. Yeah. And I think men are often overlooked because there's so much pressure put on women. And yeah, it's like yeah. women need to be this size and this size. But, yeah. you know, men, they see athletes who are at peak fitness and are probably comparing themselves to them as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're right. It's... um. Yeah, on a personal level as well. I've gone through so many times where, like, you just feel like oh, I need to wear a jacket yeah. or I need to wear, like, some sort of jumper just to, not out of embarrassment, yeah. but it's just an element of, well, I know I don't look yeah. a particular way, so you've got to kind of cover yourself. And so it is an issue that men like, go through as well, yeah. 100%. Um, and I think for men, gym culture as well, you yeah, know, you're, yeah, you've got to be in the gym training all day, every day. And for some people, that's just not the path they want to take. Mm. And why should they be put, looked at in a negative light for that? Obviously, it's not easy. I think if someone wants to, when you try to achieve something that you're seeing, that's pushed, kind of that's put in front of your face through advertisements or, like you mm-hmm. said, social media, is it possible for individuals to achieve good health while maintaining body confidence? A hundred percent. And um, we recently launched a professional beauty podcast, the Pro Beauty Pod, and we had Amy Bates on as a guest who is the founder of Beauty Rebellion. And she is all about inclusivity. And she is basically taking a self-care approach uh, to beauty rather than taking it as you're having this treatment because you want to look more like this or you're having this treatment because Kim Kardashian had it yeah, and yeah. if she looks like that maybe if I have it I'll look like her it's cool. all about sort of reclaiming it and taking it as a form of self-care which I think is so important as well yeah. for the mental health benefits of it yeah absolutely I think look from from a Islamic point of view this is the voice of Islam I think yeah. what we believe is God has created us mm. and we what we have this is almost uh, in trust that one day we're here tomorrow we won't be here mm. um, that's one thing we all human beings have in common actually that we have no saying when we're born we have no saying when we're going to die and so to kind of accept who we are yeah. and understand um, that you're right it's life is a gift 100%. And you know when you look at the cup half full rather than looking at half 100%. empty, it's then you, your perspective changes. And I think when it comes to uh, these kind of issues where you tackle, where like you said, like certain industries are just advertising people to sell their product, mm. and they do it in a way where there's no element of modesty. And then what happens is in the wider scale of society that causes so many issues. This being one of them, there are many other issues that that causes. Yeah. But this being one of them, and I think just to address that that one word of being modest in mm. your approach and being grateful because you're right I even for example I go through this challenge and these difficulties of kind of wanting to lose weight yeah and it's not because it's something I've seen on TV or I've seen oh wow I really want that type of body mm. it should be for the right reasons of I just want to be healthier yeah I want to be able to breathe better I just want to be able to sleep better I want to be able to enjoy my life better Mm. But then I can only imagine like the difficulty of someone actually looking at it from the other point of view of being under pressure so much that actually I've seen this particular person and I've seen, for argument's sake, that he gets all the attention mm. or she gets all the attention. I want that. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like, you know, you constantly compare yourself to others mm. and that's just human nature. It's what you do. There's so many people around you all the time. Of course, you're going to think, oh, they do this. What if I acted that way? But at the end of the day, it comes back to what I said. It's all about 
looking in the mirror and just being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm half Iranian actually, and you know, the culture in Iran of, you know, everyone gets a nose job and it's yeah, one of yeah, the biggest yeah, yeah. things. So why are we changing for that? Is that because mm. of the influence of us being told that the Western beauty standards is the one that you yeah, want to yeah, achieve? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, therefore yeah. you're having literal surgery to change yourself well, to fit that mold. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it, I think one other thing is people fail to realize as well is that when you see a post online or uh, even like, let's say, a, a scene in a movie, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, we're totally alien to knowing what's happening in and around that. That's mm. just literally 30 seconds or a certain amount of time that you've seen and you've made your judgment call. And I yeah. think it's interesting when you actually study these people's lives or you see interviews afterwards, s most of these people don't really know, know what true happiness is either. Exactly. They're just like, they're being used and to sell a certain type yeah. of product. And I think you've got to think with celebrities as well, they've got whole teams of makeup artists, yeah. hairstylists, you know, they've got a dermatologist that they'll go to for treatments regularly. They've got access to something that most people don't have in day-to-day -day life. But you've also got to think for them, how is that affecting them constantly being made up? Maybe when they get home as well and they take off the makeup and the hair extensions come out, they're probably having the issues that everyone else is yeah. having. Mm. I think, and, and the only last point I'll mention in terms of uh, being com body confident actually is looking after your cleanliness as well. hundred And that's a big part of our faith, that cleanliness is half of your faith. Mm. Um, and we say that because, for example, we, as Muslims, we pray five times a day. And before each prayer, we're told to perform ablution, which is where you just do kind of this set routine of cleaning yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and that can go a long way in helping, like feed, being clean. Yeah, 100%. And being presented in a clean way and looking after how you look, how you smell. All of the and your just general hygiene is mm. a big part in actually feeling good about yourself as well. A hundred percent. I mean, how many times have you had a bit of a rough day? You come yeah. home and you think, "Oh, just get in the shower," yeah, and yeah, you yeah, wash yeah. the day off with it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that absolutely. is a huge part of it as well. It's just that self care aspect again. I absolutely, think absolutely. it. The bottom line is, if you look after yourself, you'll start to feel better in yourself, and then yeah. that will have a positive domino effect on mental health and body confidence. Absolutely. Any last words before we wrap? This? this interview up any last messages um, you'd like to get out of there don't get caught up in social media it's mm. not it's not gonna last forever you know mm. yeah I, I would echo that 100% in the sense that when you look at a post you're just looking at that 10 30 seconds one minute yeah. at most you have no idea of the background of that individual and I think for me what gets it when you see studies of people who have everything mm. so for example when you advertise someone who's let's say uh, physically in great condition or he's uh, from a wealth point of view very wealthy and mm. he seems to have it all but when you take when you take him out of that comfort zone of being recorded you realize that they're not really happy like yeah. that doesn't mean happiness happiness no. is when you're content with yourself and 100%. you understand your purpose of life yeah and the basic needs of like just fulfilling each other's rights yeah uh, you know having a good society healthy peaceful society that is true happiness. Yeah. Whereas like when you see a 30 second clip, you've got no knowledge of the background of that individual mm. or the difficulties of that individual. He's just being used as a tool to 100%. promote his, that product or that, that particular thing. And I think the most important thing is just to celebrate your individuality rather yeah. than try and change to fit. If we were a world of carbon copies of each other. 100%, yeah. No one would care what you look like. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of the beauties we say as well, that if God had created us in a way that we're all the same, mm. 
there'd be it, imagine how boring life would be then as exactly. well that we're all the same we've got no element of kind of uh unique there's no nothing unique about us exactly celebrate um, what makes you unique. 100% Miss Lolly thank you so much for thank joining us for today in me. the voice of Islam studio we look to um, speak to you again we're now going to go to a very short break and we'll be back after a small while the root of everything good is taqwa in whatever action this root is upheld that action will never be devoid or futile it is necessary too that you be tried by being thrown into diverse griefs and distresses as those before you were tried. Therefore be forewarned, lest you stumble when the time comes. The earth with everything in it can inflict no injury on you, provided your contact with heaven is firm. Whenever an injury comes to you, it will only come from your own hands. If all honour on this earth is lost to you, God will give you an honour in heaven that shall never wane. Therefore do not leave him, whatever you may have to go through. You are bound to be persecuted in diverse ways, and many of your hopes will be denied to you. But in such cases you should not grieve, for the Lord your God shall take you through trials to test whether or not you remain firm. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. Uh, you are joined by myself, Tukir, and we were looking at this uh, topic of uh, body body confidence um and we were uh, joined by um Lolly Hancock who is a beauty journalist she was actually here in the studio as well so it was really good listening to some of her thoughts as well on this particular topic so we're going to go swiftly uh, more dwell in more into this topic and we do have a small clip to play for our listeners as well and this is from the this is an address of his holiness Sur Ahmed uh, his concluding address which he delivered at the Amdiya Muslim Women's Association uh, in UK which he delivered on the 26th of September 2021 um and it was on the topic of the influence of social media uh, and the you know the influences having on people especially kids and its side effects so let's listen in living in the underdeveloped world are being adversely affected by what they see on tv or the internet we can only imagine how much harm is being inflicted on people living here at the very epiculture epicenter of materialism, greed, and consumer culture. In the past, I have advised Ahmadi parents that they should be mindful of what they and their children view on television and should make sure they limit the amount of time they spend watching it. So that was a short, um, short, short clip from His Holiness Azam Azam head of the Amdiya Muslim community, in which he explained, um, you know, some of the effect which uh, social media is having on on individuals as well, such as when it comes to body confidence as well. And I think we should be encouraging to one another if someone is, you know, having these thoughts that they're not confident about their their body i think as as brothers or sisters we should be encouraging to one another as well and you know we we live in a society unfortunately when 
we see the flaws of one another you know we tend to highlight it amongst uh, amongst other people and that is that should not be the case and uh, you know islam itself it teaches that you know we should respect one another we should look after each other's sentiments um and uh, you know rather if we were to uh, look down upon someone even if it comes to someone's how they how someone looks and if they're not confident about the body then that is just going to make them feel worse so i here you know i i would say that's completely wrong and we should encourage it one another as well um to to look after ourselves really um now we've got another guest on the line we are joined by Julie Cameron and Julie has 20 years experience in public mental health and is committed to promoting human rights and improving the health and well-being of vulnerable groups uh, who experience inequalities stigma and discrimination and as the associate director for mental health foundation in Scotland Julie oversees strategic uh, development and operational delivery. So thank you for joining us this morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um I wanted to ask you firstly, please if you could outline some of the challenges which both men and women face in respect of body confidence and imaging. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. So I guess the first thing to say is that we define body image as how we all think and feel about our bodies. And of course society has a great deal to say about our bodies and place an awful lot of importance on appearance. Um historically that has been particularly aimed at women and girls. Um with quite a constant flow of messaging around how women should look and kind of aligning physical appearance and a very unattainable physical appearance. um with with success and happiness and fulfillment and of course we all know from quite a logical that how you look won't change how you feel inside necessarily certainly not all of the time so as i say these are some of the challenges that have historically been experienced by women but unfortunately rather than trying to improve things for women and girls what seems to have happened over the last 10 to 15 years is that similar messages have started to flow out towards men and boys um so with a lot being said about how they should look um in terms of being more muscular chiseled jaw all of these sort of things um and that somehow again that is um uh, you know the how they look is some sort of insight into their status um so these are all the different ways that um it can be very challenging as a man or as a young woman to try and navigate through all this when it, you're getting messages fairly constantly thrown at you that support these types of ideals absolutely absolutely and and what policies and strategies can be devised and adopted to counteract the increasing issues related to body imaging so there's things that can be done at a whole host of different levels um and I'll give you a few examples of that so at that policy level as you say well effectively what we need is we need more effective regulation so that includes things that are in social media which we can we can maybe come on to later we need agencies like the advertising standards agency to make sure that they are investigating where there's been false advertising so for instance 
if people are claiming that a dieting pill are going to revolutionise how you look. Well, that's clearly not true. So they need to make sure that now there's clear standards because all this has an impact. We need regulation around who can access cosmetic surgery and the age to which that should be appropriate. And um, when it's not for now, uh, now uh, when it's just for aesthetics rather than anything else. So there are some of the things that can be done at that policy level, and it does come down to regulation and the effect of implementation of regulation. But then, of course, there's things that we can all do. We, we can do in each of our lives. So we can support our own body image. Um, and that can be quite practical things as as, as adults and um, now as teenage and helping teenagers to do this. It's about really trying and help people, particularly how people interact with things online. We need to remember that we're in control of that. Um, it can't. It doesn't need to be just dictated to. So if there's social media sites that actually, if you really think about when you're on them, make you feel quite bad about yourself, Block them. Don't go on them. Mm. Now have a sprinkling of your of your um, social media accounts and who you're following. Um, as parents, there's things that we can do to create the right environment for our children, and and some of this can be because we all have body insecurities, um, and it's important to remember that. So some things as parents, and again particularly as women, some things we can be a little bit guilty of voicing our own body insecurities around children or around others. Um, and and be thoughtful about that. Try not to do that um, because you know, it is sending out messages which sometimes are reinforced in these societal messages that children and young people get. Trying to make sure that when we are around children and young people that we're praising them for who they are and what they do rather than just how they look. Because um, we all do it. We all say, oh, you're gorgeous or you're handsome and that's all nice, but just making sure that you also back that up with you're also a really kind person, and that's a great thing to be. Um, so just making sure we've got balance there. Um, so these are some of the things that we can do across space that run from both policy level right down to how we can promote body kindness within ourselves, but within those that we live and work with. Fantastic. And Julia, I wanted to move our conversation more towards the mental, ha- uh, mental health side of things. I mean, you mentioned that uh, if, if, if there are ads or if, if you do come across things that, you know, it, it does have an effect on you, then just block them. How are such issues affecting mental health uh, of those who are constantly exposed to these ads and marketing about perfect bodies? What, what can we do uh, for our mental health there? Yeah, okay. So, yes, it, it absolutely does. So, what again, what's important to remember is that having having body image concerns is a really common experience. And we all, how we feel about our bodies goes up and down over our lifetime, really. Um, and it's not a mental health problem in and of itself. However, it can be a risk factor for mental health problems when we have consistently low body image or body dissatisfaction. And evidence has shown and research studies have shown that actually when somebody has higher levels of body dissatisfaction, that that can be associated with poorer quality of life, low self-esteem, symptoms of anxiety and depression, and then going on to things that we might more readily associate with, like disordered eating and eating disorders. And I think, unfortunately, there's been consistent research done, particularly around around teenagers, that's shown so back in 2019 within the Mental Health Foundation we did our own report but also there was an inquiry, a cross-party inquiry on social media and young people's mental health and well-being 
and what kind of consistent messages come out around that. So around 40% of those girls engaged and 38% of young people generally said that they felt that social media damaged their self-esteem. Um, in the study that we did, 20% of adults used words like shame and feeling disgusted with their own bodies. These are powerful emotions that undoubtedly are going to have a significant impact on your mental health and how you feel about yourself. And that's ultimately what's important. Society can be quite hard around this prescribed ideal. And quite often when you feel that you're not meeting that ideal, shame can be the overarching feeling that you feel if you are overweight or if you're now whoever your body it may be. And and that's that, that shame can be a, a very, very corrosive and damaging emotion. Thank you for that. Um, we came across um, the MHF report and one of the suggestions is focusing on language. Uh, we use when describing body images and some words included healthy our definition positive neutral acceptance yeah. value yeah so can you please tell us uh, more on the importance of language being used here yeah sure so um as you mentioned at the start there so i chaired an advisory group here in scotland for the scottish government which was tasked with kind of exploring what can we do to kind of create the right environment for and at that point it was called healthy body image that that was the term that was the group originally started so as part of that process we spoke to lots of different young people and we tried to really speak to young people who maybe didn't normally have a voice so we spoke within this space so we spoke to young people who had disabilities young people who had previously had an eating disorder um, you know, young people who had perhaps um, a kind of um, who were part of an organisation called Changing Faces who so had some sort of um, outwardly obvious um, facial kind of abnormality I guess and I guess when we started to unpick they all flagged how important language was um, so for instance healthy if you're a young disabled person, just felt like a term that immediately excludes you. That, oh, that does include me because I'm not the definition of healthy that everyone else is talking about. So if I have a disability or if someone has quite a complex relationship with their body, this idea that you need a healthy body. So we started to say, OK, maybe that's not the best language to use. And then we came across, right, well, what we're trying to do should we be using language like positive body image and actually positive body body image the, the kind of um, body positive movement is quite a big movement in and of itself there's quite a big community and it's in it can be really great for people who are part of that movement but it does have very specific meanings and interpretations within that community so again we felt as part of our group we're not we're we're not part of that community so we're going to step back from that language so this was the process that we done and ultimately there's some there's some language out there that I'm not sure is all that accessible for young people, like body acceptance. The word acceptance can be quite complicated, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily very readily understood. Um, so we just landed on good. <laughs> we just felt... So I guess what all of this was about was about young people saying the language that we use is important because it creates this kind of whether what you're trying to strive towards is attainable to me or not, is, is possible for me or not. And that's why it's important. Um, so we just felt that actually the language good body image is really what we're all striving about. We don't all need to love our bodies every minute of the day because that's pretty hard to do. But actually, if we're working towards having good body image and having a good relationship with our bodies, 
then that seems like a really good place to try and aim for. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julie. And before we do let you go as well, one final question is, uh, obviously we've discussed that social media is the biggest factor um, when it comes to having an effect on people as well. Now, I wanted to ask you finally is that how can we ensure that uh, a lot of this content is safe and uh, not harmful to the emotional well-being of its viewers? So the, the first answer is it's not easy. Um, there is a lot of content out there and it has to be said that we are in a space now where quite often social media has been quite unregulated. So what we do have coming in is, of course, the online harms bill that some people may have heard about is going through Parliament um, at the moment. And this should give much stronger regulation um, to govern platforms and social media platforms to, to put the onus on them to ensure that content is safe. Whereas before, there's been quite a focus on parents, kind of making sure that they know exactly you know, what their children are doing on social media at all times. And that is quite a tall ask, I have to say, of parents. So this online harm bill has got some very specific things that we hope, will, will, if, if effectively implemented and, and governed, that it should make social media a much safer place to be in and should bring it to where it needs to be to align with what our expectations would be with offline interactions. So, for instance, um, it, it, it ensures that there's that platforms need to have the kind of highest level of regulation um, that Ofcom can can kind of check into that if there's going to be kind of explicit or potentially dangerous information on a site. So that would include sites that up to now have been called kind of suicide or eating disorder forums, which quite often have been governed have been on quite small platforms, so have been sitting slightly outside of regulation, and this should bring them into it. So the Ofcom, as I say, can apply this kind of highest level of regulation to these types of sites. Um, people will now have to kind of opt in to see explicit content, so over 18s. And what all this is doing is it's just making it harder and harder for people to view. But it's also, what we hope, is making it harder for um, some platforms to operate. Now, rather than just kind of kind of by the back door coming in and, and being available to people, they'll have to be really explicit about saying, actually, this does have explicit content and put up warnings, initial warnings. So the hope is that the online harms bill should really help with, with making content safe. And as I say, we're all waiting for this to be implemented and to be passed as a bill and as a law. And then see how now see what changes this brings with it. But um, the, the hope is that it will. Um, but of course, as I say, now as as adults, we we can do we can continue to have an eye on what children and young people are watching, and of course we can also educate children and young people so that they can bring their own um, thoughts and critical appraisals of the sites that they're on and and the views that they're seeing. And because bear in mind that, that sometimes the most harmful sites are just even what friends post to one another that's been very heavily curated so that it kind of presents quite a perfect image, whereas we know that people's lives aren't like that, they aren't perfect. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Julie Cameron, Associate Director for Mental Health Foundation in Scotland. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your thoughts on this topic. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much. 0208 That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So that was... Julie Cameron and uh, she shared her thoughts on that. I mean, it, it is um, 
social media itself is a very pressing issue and uh, it affects all of us really I, I mean if we go maybe 10 years back um or 20 years back our our older generation our parents they themselves weren't that familiar with social media or the use on how to use social media but now we see that there there is a market for everyone for young kids for for teens for young adults and even for older adults there is a market for them and they know how to use social media so it, it has an effect on everyone really um and it's very important that we do regulate um how we use social media as well um you know and i wanted to mention as happiness is something that comes and goes with ups and downs of life i want to look at the what the holy quran teaches us here that the holy quran it focuses on the importance of finding inner peace and tranquility for example when we lose a loved one once sadness overtakes us but our hearts can still be at peace if we firmly uh, are grounded in faith and uh, this is mentioned in the holy quran as well that the remembrance of allah is the key for inner peace it says states in the holy quran in chapter 13 verse 20, 29 that surely in allah's remembrance do hearts find inner peace then and that means that if you are feeling like you don't belong anywhere find comfort in your faith and the community around it and you can remember that allah through many avenues and this can be through offering such as the five daily prayers as as we do within islam paying zakat so paying alms and paying for the need for for the poor and the needy for the vulnerable people of the society and even reading books to increase our own knowledge our own religious knowledge and even a quick visit to the mosque and offer a sense of belonging so you know sometimes i think it's just important to maybe shut that phone off you know if we're spending too much time on social media if we're spending you know 3 4 hours daily on social media then i think it's time that we come to a realization that you know we need to maybe turn our phones off and then maybe go outdoors maybe go out for a walk uh get some fresh air you know there's really really good apps out there such as strava or 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 fitbit you know which record um how many steps you're doing or how many kilometers or miles you're walking on a daily basis um and that encourages you as well because there's a whole community uh that's on these particular apps and they will show you various routes which are which are which are which they've which others have really enjoyed so you can look at other people's routes as well and you can you know start and doing that route for yourself whether you want to walk it whether you want to cycle or whether you want to run um but it's it's a great way of maybe getting off social media and maybe trying something different uh maybe the outdoors more and that itself is very good for our mental health as well and i would encourage here as well that we we should benefit from that um so we are coming to the 9:00 news uh i do hope you've enjoyed uh listening to me this morning and our guest as well um as i mentioned uh in the beginning of the show as well i'm actually a friday morning presenter and for the listeners listening 
to on Thursday morning. If you loved listening to me on on Thursday morning, then you're going to absolutely love listening to me on a Friday morning. So do uh, tune in to Fridays as well. Uh, you'd be joined by myself and Brother Walid um, in, the, in the studio. So do listen to Friday mornings as well. Um, before we do close this segment, I wanted to take this opportunity and thank the whole team uh, thank the producer Arfa Khan Salman Kokar Dr Fatma and Sabiha Asif uh, for their contribution for a great production this morning and to the researchers uh, Halima uh, Malha Mahmood Waki Khan Subia Ahmed Sabah Ijaz and Baria Harun for for their great work in uh, you know getting together and creating a such a beautiful production i want to also thank um brother akib adnan and the tech team uh, we also wanted to thank brother khalil yusuf uh lawyer uh, he came on for the first segment reverend dr helen hall uh, associate professor at nottingham nottingham law school uh, she came on as well uh, brother asif arif international attorney uh licensed in Paris in California he came on the show as well and also to Lolly uh Lolly Hancock um a beauty journalist who came uh onto the show as well uh so it was really lovely listening to her and finally to Julie Cameron associate director for mental health foundation in Scotland so thank you to all of the to to all of our experts who joined us and we do hope that you've enjoyed uh, the show this morning as well um and until next time from us here in the studio of voice of islam assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh